You're listening to Athleisure Kitchen, where you'll get the inside scoop with those in the culinary world from celebrity chefs, food personalities, restaurateurs, and more. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith of Athleisure Mag, so set an extra plate as we chat all things culinary. On today's episode of Athleisure Kitchen, we know that there is something about a great meal that allows you to enjoy the flavors, the ambiance, and so much more. When the food becomes a gateway to a deeper understanding about the people and culture, it's truly an immersive experience that leaves you with a bigger takeaway. Today's conversation with Chef Yia Bang explores a history that is infused with his passion for food by sharing his love for Hmong cuisine, his parents, as well as the people that it comes from. This multi-nominated James Beard Awards chef, whose restaurant is up for Best Chef Midwest for a second year in a row, has two restaurants in Minnesota, Union Mung Kitchen and Vinay. He is also the host of a number of shows, including the Outdoor Channel's Feral, Food Network's Stoked, and PBS's Relish. He has competed on Netflix's Iron Chef, Quest for an Iron Legend, and hosts his podcast Munglish, just to name a few of his projects. He tells us about the food, his philosophy, and the importance of representation. So when did you first fall in love with food? Um, you know, food and I have a really weird relationship. You know, I always, you know, if you say food as in like kitchen cooking, mm-hmm. I would say, I would say that it's kind of like for me, it's kind of like that high school sweetheart that you start dating and then you're like, I don't know, man, we're going to college, so we're kind of different people right now. So I kind of did some other things. And then, like, then we went through this really weird, like, break up, get back together, break up, get back together. And mm-hmm. 15 years into it, I was like, I think I really love you. I might as well put a ring on it. Uh, and then when I got into that mode where it's like, hey, man, we're each other's ride or die right now, huh? Um, and I always say, probably about 10 years ago, I always say that what happened for me was I re-fell in love with my first love. Mm. And I, I always knew that there's something about working in kitchens, how it makes sense to me. <clears throat> there was this thing inside of me that it made sense, but I didn't know why. And it took me a while to figure out my why. And once I figured out my why, you know, everything connected and through the hard, the bad, the good, the ugly, the whatever, I knew that this 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 thing made sense, you know? Mm. And at what point did you realize that you wanted to be a chef? I never, I don't think I ever, like, see, I'm the dude who grew up going, I don't want to do this, mm. you know? And, and I, I still, I think I take, and I, I'm not trying to be, you know, like, there's because there's all these people like, oh, tell you those blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not trying to be like, oh, don't give me that title, blah, blah. You know, I really believe that titles is something you earn. It's something that's given to you. Mm. So I never went out claiming that I wanted to be a chef. You know, I, I knew that I loved to cook. Um, but again, it had to be more than just food and cooking for me. Mm. And so for me, it was this idea of uh, storytelling. My father is a great storyteller, you know? Yeah. We always, as kids growing up, that was the way, like when he put us to bed or, you know, when we would sit down, you know, the one word is ending, which means like uh, legend or myth, you know, and he was really good at telling stories. Wow. And so I found myself, you know, as a kid, have you ever seen the movie Big Fish? I have. 
Yeah, you know how like the whole movie, like Billy Crumpet's character is like, I don't want to be like a dad who's weird, you know, he's like has dad issues. Mm-hmm. Well, that was that was me growing up. Oh wow! I didn't understand my father, and as I got older, I realized that I am my father. That as much as he is a he's an incredible storyteller, mm-hmm. and he captivate audience. Um, that was a part of me. Wow! So instead of using pen and paper, instead of using a uh, typewriter or computer, we get to use food as a canvas to tell stories. Mm. Well, what was your journey in terms of like where you trained or kitchens that you, you know, worked in to get to where you are today? So I, I'm, I was very, again, like I said, I, I, I never knew that culinary school was a thing. I didn't do that. I'm so glad I didn't do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, and for some people, it works. Yeah. You know, they're incredible. Like we have chefs who work with us. I went to culinary school and they're incredible. You know, mm. uh, for, for somebody, I, I am, uh, I'm really kind of one of those people that like, I'm an ambulatory learner, so I have to move my hands. If it touches it, I can understand it. Mm-hmm. If I understand how the concept works, uh, and in that way, I'm he, he, you know, he doesn't have, he doesn't speak English, but if you give him a table, he can look at that table and then re- reverse engineer it and it's great, rebuild it for you. Wow. You know, and so, so yeah, so for me, that's how I work also. And so, yeah. Uh, so I, I, so it was just literally working in the kitchen. And I think that when I was so young, I was too dumb to realize, <laughs> like, oh, like what you're doing here is very hard. I was just like, this is normal, right, guys? You know? <laughs> like, work hard. Like, you know, it's okay to be on your feet for 12 hours. Like, that's right. what everyone does, you know? And, and I think that we had the sense of a, you know, you know, quote unquote kitchen culture, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. When I first started, like, you know, 20 years ago, it was just like, hey, kid, you just go and you just, like, earn your spot. That's what you do. Like, don't try to, you know, don't try to be, you know, don't try to talk about how you feel. You mm-hmm. know? And so I worked in a lot of kitchens, you know, again, but while working in those kitchens saying, I would never do this. Like, I'm never doing this. This is, this is my job. I'm doing this right now to get to the next bigger, better thing. Right. You know? Uh, yeah. So. Wow. Well, in doing the research that I did, you know, to talk with you today, I like that you said that for you, cooking is about intention and interpretation and that it, that kind of comes from your background as being a communication major. I was also a telecommunications major at Indiana University. Yeah, yeah like I, it struck with me. Can you tell me what you mean by that? Absolutely. So I, again, I wanted to, my, the first goal in college is when I got into college, I wanted it to be, you know, all I care about, I was, I was kind of like a gym rat, so all I cared about was I wanted to play football, I wanted to play college football, that meant you had to be exercise sports science major, or you had to be a fiat teacher, I wanted to know, I, I wanted to go teaching, so I just kind of wanted to find out. Mm-hmm. Right when I got into, like, biochem, for, mm-hmm. you know, for, you know, being, I was like, dang, this is too hard, like, I stuff out. So I literally uh, changed majors a couple times, Ended up with communications in our my first uh, CSC one time class. My mm-hmm. class, the, the professor asked and said, "What is more important, the interpretation of the message and or the intention of the message?" Hmm. And then, you know we had this big discussion, and she gave us this little study, and we read, and you know it's like seventy percent of the people you know that, that they did this quantitative a quantitative 
and qualitative research on this, and 70% of the people said that interpretation of the message is more important than the intention of the message. Yeah. And so as we're, as we're cooks and we're cooking food, I can always say, oh, yeah, like, this is what, like, what my intention is this, this, and this, and this. You know, like, I, I, want, I want to, you know, I want to do it this way because it should be eaten this way. But if the interpretation of the message isn't interpreted like that, yep. then I think that as cooks, we need to readjust ourselves, not changing our values and beliefs in what we're doing, but we have to say, how do I get the message across? Yeah. In communication, communication is not a monologue. Yep. It's a dialogue. It's between two people. So if I'm trying to explain something to someone and they're not getting it, I have to ask myself, what do I need to adjust on my end? I think that we live now in, you know, the pendulum swings, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it started with like, customers always right. Yep. And, and then I think that that pendulum swung to that side and then there's a whole group of chefs that are like, well, F you, like customers not always right. Like, we don't know to explain our intentionality. Yeah. And then now it's swung to the other side and you have, and what we're doing is we're having guests that are dining with us that don't get the food, but they pretend they do because <laughs> you have to look good in social media. Right. <laughs> and, and so, and so that's why for us, I say, Hey, there's a, there's a happy medium in here. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about monk food. Yeah. What makes monk food monk food? Yep. Even monk people can't, we can't make decisions and be consistent on what is monk food. Mm-hmm. Our own people can't figure out what it is. How is the majority culture from the outside going to figure that out? Mm-hmm. So for the last seven years, we've had the pleasure. Had, we've had, I call it the pleasure, the pain, <laughs> you know, the, the everything of trying to say, how do we create guardrails? We're not creating rules or guidelines. How do we create guardrails around monk food? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so that's we've had the pleasure of doing that. I like that you said it like that, because when I was, you know, when you're interviewing certain chefs that do Mediterranean cuisine or this type of or this type, you can ask questions that are talking about, well, what are foods and tastes that are indicative of it? And then once again, I, I really loved watching your own videos Um where you were like, well, bung food is a philosophy and it involves the people that are woven into the food. And, and I love that concept. How important is the people to the food, in your opinion? It is the most important thing. Our, our, our food is our people. Our people is our food. Mm-hmm. You know, like when you get a group of people who doesn't have a home, who doesn't have a country of their own, and they don't have any kind of quote unquote like marks of identity, what they do is they gather around food. Because mm-hmm. if you think about food, food is so core to people's survival, right? Yeah. It is the essence that keeps us alive. Well, of course, what keeps us alive, what's so core to our survival is the closest thing to our hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, it is for us, the way that we think about food is the same way that some people think about their family. You know, they think about the people that are the closest to them. You know, my parents, when they came to America, they had to change the way that they cook because cooking in the mountains of Laos, you know, over, you know, wood fire pots and pans and in, you know, huts made out of tree barks and bamboo is different than cooking in a duplex apartment in, mm-hmm. you know, in Wisconsin. Yeah. You know? Yeah. They had to change. They had to adapt to survive and their adapt. The way that the reason why they had to change and adapt to survive was they needed to be their kids. Yeah. 
And so as, as, you know, as a kid who's five years old comes to America and then I eat the food that my mom and my dad cooks here in the United States, of course it's going to be different in the, from the hills and the mountains of the world. Mm-hmm. Of course it's going to be different. Of course it's going to have a different kind of flavor and taste. But the heart of it is still the same. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what, what we love talking about is the food that I grew up with, mm-hmm. it's Hmong food because it's made by Hmong. Hmong people, yeah. It's, yeah, and it's Hmong food because it's touched by Hmong hands. Mm-hmm. And our people, if you have seen for generation to generation, it's about survival. It's about survival. And for the first time, my generation, my group of people, like I'm 38, mm-hmm. people that, we're he- that are here now, you know, all the millennials, all the Hmong millennials. Mm-hmm. This is the first time in a long, long time in our history that we, we don't have to worry about uprooting and constantly mooting. We don't mm-hmm. have to worry about war. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to worry about that. And when, when you have a civilization or a group of people that don't have to worry about that, yeah, they have the ability to grow, to dream, to imagine. You know, they have the ability to uh, wonder. Mm-hmm. You know, I was just joking with a friend this morning that he was, I feel like I'm Moana from Disney. Where I can <laughs> wonder what's beyond the reef. Yeah. You know, and like, I I feel like I can ask those questions like, mom, dad, what's beyond the reef? Mm -hmm. Because everything I've known is in the reef. But now we are one of the first generation. I can talk like, like my, like us, like my generation and my nieces and Mm -hmm. generation, I don't have any kids. um, They can wonder and talk to themselves and think about this idea of, well, I want to be an architect. What's an architect? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. I, I want, I want, I, you know, I want to go into finance. What's, what's finance? Mm. You know, it, it's all of these things are completely different. Wow. It's a whole new world. Mm-hmm. You know? And so the reason we can do that yep. is off the backs of our mom and dad who cooked this food for us. Mm-hmm. And I'll be damned if I look at that and goes, well, you know, like I'm going to take, make a twist on it. How dare I right. make a twist on anything? You know, I get to add on to what they do, you know? And so that's wow. why I think Hmong food, that's the way I think about Hmong food. It's mm-hmm. the way that we challenge people to think about Hmong food. We get a lot of pushbacks, you know, here and there. But the truth of the matter is, I think that that's food in general, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Like, isn't isn't that what it's about? I'm not sure if you have kids or not. But I don't have right. kids, but I do have a niece. Uh, <laughs> but, but you understand. Yep. Like, you would understand what I'm talking about when you look, like, look, look, look at your, you know, your siblings with their kid. It's like, mm-hmm. They want to do something more. They want to provide something more so that your little niece has a, a, like another edge, another up that their parents didn't have. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I see that with all my nieces and my parents of 21 of them. Wow. So, <laughs> big family. Yeah. So there's definitely, there's definitely that, like, we want something better. So we're going to sacrifice the same thing our parents did for us. We want something better. I love that. For us. Yeah. And so, I, I, I think that it would be foolish for any kind of food people mm-hmm. in the food industry to be like, I think that it's cool that we pay homage to the old school stuff. Mm-hmm. Amazing. I, I do that all the time. But to say that, well, this is how we got to be. It's like, no, that's how, a, that's how a civilization, that's how a group of people remain stagnant. Yeah. And we live in a world of advance and forward. You know, so our, you know, for our uh, restaurant company, we always say our core DNA, our, our, um, you know, our, our, our core values, mm-hmm. functional core values are three words. Always, or no, it's three words, moving forward together. Mm. You know? And we got those words. We were inspired by those words of my dad and my mom's journey, escaping Laos after the war. 
Mm. They all, my dad always said, as a group of people that, that, that lived in the jungle for months and months to escape, you know, the murders, the genocide. Mm-hmm. We, we, as a group, we just said, we, all, we always have to keep moving forward together. Move forward together. I love that. And it's like every bite that you're eating is expressing that story and showcasing how you like you said, you're paying homage to that and introducing other people, um, you know, to something that they may not have known about before. I always tell people when they're like, oh, well, what's it like growing up in the Midwest? Because, you know, there isn't a lot of like diversity. I'm like, no, there's actually a lot of diversity in the Midwest. I mean, absolutely. Yeah, I'm African-American like. You know, I was like, there's a lot of different people there. So like, yes, we live in New York. That's like this huge melting pot. But then, you know, you're talking about where you're from. There's a huge melting pot there, too. You know, and so if we can. Absolutely. Yeah. And if we can come to a kitchen and eat like, something and understand that journey, that's amazing. Yeah. And, and, and the question of why is there melting pots all through the Midwest? Yep. You know, like that's huge. Like go to Dearborn. Yep. Muslim population. Like wait, Dearborn, Michigan. Yep. Yeah, that dude. They didn't go to Dearborn, Michigan because of the weather. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like St. Paul, Minneapolis, highest Hmong population. Mm-hmm. You know, dense Hmong population in the country. Uh, we didn't come here because we're like, yeah, the winter. We love the winter here. Mm-hmm. From the hills of Dallas, where it's sunny, muggy, and we're going to come in with like negative 30 for five months. Mm-hmm. No, we didn't do that. Just survival. Yeah. You know, it's survival. And I think that in that connection of survival, especially food, mm-hmm. that idea of survival, it connects our humanity together. Yeah. You know, as much as we are different, we're not that different. Yep. And that's, that's, that's what we choose to tip, tap into. In a society, in a world where it's all about either the pendulum swing to be like, let's just all be the same. Mm-hmm. Like, or like, we're all different, so we can't be the same. Yep. You know, that pendulum that swings back and forth mm-hmm. and creates a dichotomy within our culture. I say, hey, we are different, mm-hmm. but we're not that different. Yeah. You know, and uh, we get to share that with mom food. Wow. You know, and, and that we don't have to sit here and wait for a majority culture to dub us worthy mm-hmm. to hear our stories. Yep. Where where we're like, no, no, like there, there's we have a story. And if you allow us a little corner of the stage, if you allow us a little corner of the soapbox, we want to tell that story. I mean, I love that as the, the co-founder of Athleisure Mag. I know I've literally spent the last two years trying to get an interview with you because I just I've loved everything that I've seen about you on TV and different things like that. I've, I've obviously not been in your corner of the world to have your your food personally, but I love the messaging that you do. So I'm, I'm just so honored just talking with you right now. <laughs> Thank you so much. That means so much. We, you know, at the end of the day, like my buddies, we always talk about like, I have these college buddies who I'm so tight with. Mm hmm. We always talk, you know, they're always like, dude, how do you keep it together? I'm like, I don't know. I hang out with you idiots. You, know? like, <laughs> you keep reminding me that I'm just a Wisconsin boy that still doesn't know what he's really doing. Yep. And I love that, you know. I love going home with my mom. And, you know, I remember the first year we got the James Beer now. I'm like, mom, I'm like, mm-hmm. James Beer. She's like, that's nice, honey. Just take the trash out when you leave. <laughs> Okay. Well, that's the Midwest. <laughs> that's the Midwest in us. It is. Yeah, I remember last year we were, when we were finalists, I remember explaining to my mom what it is, and the first thing she said was, oh, so does everybody in Minnesota get one of these? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, mom. Sure. You know? it's, like, like, it's like bless her heart, you know? Yep. You know? 
I love that. And I, I, yeah, we. I feel very, very honored to, to be here to, to be able to do all these things on the TV, you know, whatever junk like that. That I feel very, very, very honored to be a part of all. So yeah. Well, you're the chef owner of Union Monk Kitchen. And like you said, it was a James Beard Award nominated semifinalist. Tell me about, you know, this restaurant and what are three dishes that that we should try when we're in the area? Yeah, for sure. So we, you know, have all these little things going on and we're very blessed, you know, that Union Monk Kitchen started as this tiny little, you know, like, you know, you know, pop up mm-hmm. thing at like farmers markets and events. <laughs> <laughs> it was like the shit. You know, it was like super shady. We didn't have any <laughs> code stuff, and then eventually the health department phone all over. Um, <laughs> but, but what we always say is, monk food consists of four elements mm-hmm. on the table. You know, we don't say that Union Monk Kitchen is authentic monk food. Like, we don't say that. Mm-hmm. We, it's, it's a gateway. This is our gateway mm-hmm. to understanding our people and our food. Mm-hmm. So we always have, there's, you know, think of uh, meats and threes, right? Mm-hmm. We always talk about that. This is the, the you know, best way to communicate to people, especially Southerners, is talking about meats and threes. Yep. So monk food is consists of four elements. Mm. There's a protein. Mm. There's a stick. There's a, some kind of rice. You know, it's either jasmine rice, sticky mm-hmm. rice, whatever. And then you have some kind of vegetable. Sometimes mm. that vegetable is in a broth. You know, it's a soup, mm-hmm. or sometimes it's just a vegetable. Right. And the fourth element is, um, it is a hot sauce. There has to be a hot sauce. <laughs> yeah. So when you come to Union Monk Kitchen, that's what you're gonna get. You mm-hmm. get to pick your meat. You get to pick your protein. There's sticky rice. We have purple sticky rice, which purple sticky rice Yum. is historically connected to Hmong people. Mm-hmm. And then you, you then you have you pick a, a vegetable side. You know, sometimes it's a noodle. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes it's a straight up like right now it's like Brussels sprouts or something. Mm-hmm. You know, up here, spring's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then we have a you, know, you have a, a couple of different hot sauces that we traditionally grew up eating. Wow. And so it's you know so we just say it's meats and threes. It's dealer's choice. So, you wow. come in. so what we're very proud of is the monk sausage that we created. Mm-hmm. It is a recipe that my my dad showed me growing up, and it wasn't mm. like he like taught it to me. He made it. I just watched. Mm-hmm. And as I got older, I was just like, "Hey, Dad, can we try that?" Mm. Uh, so it's you know we we won a couple of awards with it, which we is funny. Again, I told my dad, <laughs> "Well, Dad, we won this like it was like all these sausages from like it was from the Midwest, so it's like yeah. sausage central." Right? Yeah. <laughs> dad, we won with with with, with the most sausage that we created with you. And my dad, like his first response, the tro- about the trophy home, mm-hmm. his first response, really? They like that silly recipe. Like, <laughs> and I was like, you know, like, my dad, like the word is but not, which means it's so pedestrian, it's mm-hmm. so silly. Like, why would they? And I'm like, well, this is in your honor, I guess. You know? <laughs> so you know, we, we we have that. You know, it's it's. it's Again, like to me, that's a very, very, very special thing because it's part of Dad's legacy. Mm-hmm. Talking about, we're to the point with that where uh, uh, a really great, their uh, uh, their uh, Eastern European sausage company. Mm-hmm. Now they make it for us with our recipe. Wow! So it's like the coolest thing ever to see, you know, Hmong recipes being made in a Ukrainian family which is over almost 70 years old company here in wow Canada. like do you know what i'm saying like yeah that's pretty crazy yeah nick the son the owner he's just like dude this is one of our best sellers here. 
you know? And it's always like, there's a Ukrainian family making a bone sausage, which they love themselves using. And now it's in, you know, the twin stadium, you know, and it's, wow. we're, we're trying to get it out to a local, um, some of the local shops and stuff like that, you know? That's so, insane. Yeah, yeah. So like to me, like I tell people that is the most craziest story is that mm. as so so me and nick we're talking together and everything that's going on in ukraine mm-hmm. all the refugees from ukraine all the war in ukraine i'm talking to him and i understand that as a kid yeah who comes from who's a refugee and who comes from war too mm-hmm. different parts of the world again we're very different but we're not different yep you know and so yes yeah, so the bone sausage started going off on that uh, the pork belly we worked really hard on uh, I think that that's the other one. Mm. Obviously, we have the chicken. There's like tofu, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm kidding. Tofu's good. Uh, yeah, but again, I, I don't know how to say like, oh, these are the three dishes. It's mm-hmm. literally come in and you do that. Or we have what's called the feast. The mm. feast. Oh. And it's like, it's, it's like it, it, for me, it came from we were very poor in college. Mm-hmm. But when we scraped all our money together, we scraped all our money together, all the dudes. We put, we pitched our money together. We would go to famous days and we get the trash can lid barbecue. Do you know what I'm talking about? Famous days. I have friends who, when I went to college, they were talking about it or not college. Um, a couple friends of mine ago, we were at a retreat and I was like, Oh my God, that sounds so good. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's basically, you get, you get like the highlights of the menu mm-hmm. on, on a trash can lid. What? <laughs> Famous Dave still has that. It's like the all American feast or whatever. Wow. And it's, this is kind of an homage to that. We just call it the Gray's Feast. It's yep. served on a bamboo rice basket. We lay it out with, you know, uh, with uh, what you might call it, um, uh, banana leaf. Mm-hmm. We just put everything. It's like the best of both worlds. If you have four people going, mm-hmm. if you're four people, I tell people, just get it. It's, it's the bang for the buck. Yeah. You get. You get the whole tour. And secondly, you also get a whole fried fish on there too. Oh wow! We have a fried yeah, we get a fried bronzini fish we throw on there. You know, wow! Uh, that's you know the, the whole the whole fish fry the whole fish bronzini. Sometimes stab a bronzini depending on our fishmonger. Uh, that is um that's that's another dad classic where my mom mm-hmm. for my dad. So mom loves doing like whole fish like deep frying grilling for dad and dad just sits there and he just lives he lives his best life now you know just you know, down in the whole fish his favorite thing he loves to do when he has the whole fish mm-hmm. with all the sauces on it he loves especially with all his grandkids around he loves picking off all the meat and then putting it on the plate so they don't have to fuss with it oh that's actually really cute <laughs> it is he does it for king crab apparently my niece and nephew loves king crab because that's what grandpa does mm-hmm. you know shrimp he peels all the shrimp off for them and I and I look at them and I stare them in the eyes and I'm like, you guys don't know what struggle is, kid. Yeah. We used to have to pick our own meat. Now <laughs> man, you're living it up, you Gen Z kid. But that's a food memory because they'll be like 20, 30 years old, and every time they eat something like that, they'll remember their grandfather doing it. Yep. And Kimmy, they're gonna all be soft, you know, because they're like, oh no, I have to pick the fish off the bat. What? That is uh, true. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want you kids to be soft. That's what I'm going to look at. I mean, you know, kids are, yeah. Well, that's why we're here. Fish. You know, I'm like, I'm 43. I look at my niece who's five and sometimes she'll do something and I'm like, okay, when I grew up, we didn't have an iPad to go watch Blue's Clues. (laughs) Dude, no joke. Can you, can you, 
just saying that we feel like our parents go, yes. 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 And I'm like, oh, I, 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 I kind of cringe. Like, oh, I become my father. Yeah. I'm like, go up. I'm like, go outside. Hey, kids. Yeah. What the frick? <laughs> so I always tell people that I'm an elder millennial mm-hmm. identified as a boomer. Right. Because I'm like yelling at kids to turn their music down. You know, like these kids riding their bike in the middle of the day. And I'm like, get a job, you hooligan. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Earn your living. Well, you you also opened up Vinay. You know, what does that name mean? And and I love this residency. Like, what's going on here? It seems fantastic. Yeah. So uh, over the last summer, we had a chance to run this residency. You know, Vinay has been, again, it's been that problem child. You know, I love it so much. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, they, they just don't sleep and they cry all the time. So yeah. We uh, we struggled uh, a lot with the financing to get that building going. Mm-hmm. And so, so the last six months have been some of the most exciting times for us mm. as we can visually see, like, oh, my gosh, like, this is coming together the way that we thought. You know, so wow. doing that, I, you know, my, 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 my parents always taught me this idea where it was like, you don't like you don't sit there and just sulk in problem. You yep. Know, Dad always says, "Work the problem and keep moving forward. Work the problem and keep moving forward." Mm-hmm. And my mom said that when they were in the refugee camp, it wasn't you know with with us you know in the refugee camp it mm-hmm. wasn't like well I don't know what we're going to do today. It was like you just have to live every day moving forward. Mm-hmm. So we said, you know what, Vini is really not about a building. It's about the people. It's about the food. Mm-hmm. So we, so what we've been able to do with Vinai is do this residency and these oh, like after COVID, there was these like spaces that mm-hmm. there was like dang it, we were looking for a partnership. Like a lot of um, a lot of like a lot of bars, yeah, cocktail rooms. They were like, frick, we got to figure something out to get people back in seats. You know, yeah, butts and seats back there. So we just brought, with some of our friends who had these places. We're like, hey, let's partner up and. And so we started these residencies, you know, and mm-hmm. said, you know, and then we wanted to give people a glimmer of Vina. You know, Vina, you know, is the name of the refugee camp that my parents met in in 1978. Mm. I was mm. born in 84 and wow. my family left there in 88. Wow. And mom, mom always said that Vina, they were there for 10 years. So and so Vinai from 1975 to 1992 hosted about 90,000 refugees. Out of those 90,000 refugees, 90% of them were Hmong people. And out of wow. those Hmong people that came through V9, the majority of them ended up in the Midwest, all over from Ohio to Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Kansas City, Minnesota, you know? Wow. And so we, mom said to us, V9 was not where our story ended, but it's where our story started. Wow. So Vinai, but the brick and mortar we're currently working on right now to, to build it up. Mm-hmm. Vinai is a love letter to my mom and dad. It is their legacy wow. being captivated in a, in, in a menu, mm-hmm. in, a, in a building, uh, in the way that we're doing the designs. and everything. So Vinai is also one of those things that growing up, we would, as Hmong kids, we talked to each other and goes, hey, what camp are you guys in? What camp are you guys in? Mm. And it was a way that we would identify. Mm-hmm. Oh, were you, you know, were you in Northland? Or were you, you know, were you in this? Or were you in Vina? And we'd always, you know, we'd be like, oh, I was in Vina. I was born in And to the white kids, they'd be like, wait, what? I don't get it. You're born in a camp somewhere, like a summer camp, mm-hmm. you know? 
and you're like, yeah, it's kind of like a summer camp, but not really. Right. Um, <laughs> you just don't know when you're going back home, and you don't get letters from yeah. mom and dad. Um, and so we ended up, uh, I, I really just wanted to make these names that we grew up with mm-hmm. very normal as a part of our conversation. Wow. As much as somebody would say Washington D.C., yep. Seattle, New York City, you know, like 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 in in American culture, we know those names. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to take the like the name V Nine outside of the monk vernacular and conversation, so that it becomes a part of majority culture, you know. And then when people talk about V Nine, I get to talk about my mom and dad. I get to talk about how they warred and they suffered for 10 years in there, you know, not knowing when they were going to leave. It was, it was a stopgap for all these monk people, 90,000 refugees. It was a stopgap. Thai government didn't want anything to do with them. The U.S. government didn't want them to come in because there was all these like anti, you know, Mm -hmm. anti, but all these like issues with refugees and blah, blah, blah. You know, to, to, to claim these refugees would be, uh, you know, claiming that, you know, the U.S. was at war and there was a secret war in northern Laos that the U.S. didn't want, you know, people to know. But there was a deal made there with all the people who fought, like my father, saying that no matter what happened, you could come into America for free citizenship because you fought for our country. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, and then, then that conversation was said, oh, we never had that conversation. So there was denial in that. So wow. all of that. Yeah. You know? And and just a little name, we can talk about all of that, you know. So yeah, wow. You know, to me, that's what it means. And the dishes that we get to do in there, you know, comes from mom and dad's table. Now, is it going to be exactly like from mom and dad? Absolutely not. Mm-hmm. I don't think my mom and dad would want us to do that. Right. You know, I know they don't want us to do that. My mom has said to me, like, don't make it like this. <laughs> you know, like, put, you know, like make this. You know, but this is always be a part of you. You know, and so, yeah, we get to, you know, we get to showcase our chefs and we have some incredible chefs. The majority of our chefs aren't Hmong. Mm. So we always talk about, yeah, we're very clear. I'm very, very clear on that. Wow. That Hill, Tri- Hill Tribe, our mother company, Hill Tribe, mm-hmm. is not about Hmong people, just for Hmong people. You know, mm-hmm. if you look at the, if you look at the history of the word Hill Tribe, those are the tribes of people that lived in the mountains, the people that nobody ever wanted, the people that they said, oh, yeah, they're, they're just like, you know, low people. They live up in the mountains because we don't want them here in the good fertile slope. Mm-hmm. I would never imagine to live up in those mountains. They're made of a different group of people. And I told all our staff, I said, we, we were the ones that people were like, oh, yeah, you're a cook. Or, oh, yeah, you work in kitchens. Yeah, you're not going to amount to much, mm. you know, because that's, that's where all the troubled kids go to, right? Yep. It's 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 that culture mentality. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's all it's all the you know it's all the like never will da 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 whatever. And I tell our staff, I'm like, let's prove them wrong, man. Yeah. Like, what happens when a group of people come together and says, no, we're going to change the way we live. We're going to deal with mental health issues. We're going to deal with substance abuse issues. Mm-hmm. We're going to deal with all this stuff. We're not going to run anymore from this. And that's why our company is called Hill Tribe. Wow. You know? And we always say, cook from who you are. Mm. I don't expect you to be Hmong. I don't expect you to be Hmong food. But I want you to love your background, your culture, whatever. I want you to love all of that mm-hmm. as much, as much as I love being Hmong. You know? Mm. So, so you know, to to my you know Mexican brothers and sisters who work with us, I'm like, I want you to dig into that. Mm. You know? To my Ecuadorian brothers and sisters, I want you to dig into that. You know, to the, to, you know, to, Tony, who's a who's Chinese, mm-hmm. I want you to dig into that Tony, you know. So yeah, so so Hill Tribe isn't 
just a moment for everyone. Right. It's a place where the people can come, like 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 the outcasts or the broken yep. can come in mm-hmm. and show people what can a group of broken people as they come together, yep. how they can go and reach out for more broken people to create a place of refuge. Right. Wow. And so that's why we always say that like Hill Tribe, our restaurants, it's got to be more than food. Yeah. Because if we're all about food, then all we're going to do is we're going to, all we want is pats on the back and accolades. We want magazines to write about us. Mm-hmm. You know, that's all we want, but we got to be more than food. And so, yeah, that's kind of, you know, the thing that we're really driving into our, into the culture of our, you know, all the restaurants, but it all stemmed from mom and dad, my mom and dad. Wow. You know, it all stems from them and it all stems from, you know, our, our kitchen tables welcome anybody. You know, mom, if, if mom was making dinner, mm-hmm. I didn't care what color you were, what socioeconomic background you were, you mm-hmm. always had a place at that table. Mm. I learned that. Watching them, I learned that. And I want to be able to keep doing that with all our restaurants. I mean, that sounds amazing. And just doing that is a lot. And yet you are constantly like on so many different TV shows. Um, I, I was looking up that you have relished the PBS show, which I really like showcasing various cultural heritage of various people um, that are in the Twin Cities area, which I think is phenomenal. Are you working on another season of that? Yeah, we actually are. Uh, next week, we, we start a different season. Uh, this time, we're going to, like I said, doing these like 10-minute vignettes. Yep. Piece all these 10-minute vignettes together mm-hmm. to make like a full episode. We're going to do a full episode. So wow. we're actually filming. We're, we start on Monday on our, it's a relish, but they call it like the relish 2.0 pilot. So right, right, right. And then, yeah, and then I think that the show is so fun, especially uh, being in the Twin Cities. You know, mm-hmm. People engage in here for the Twin Cities. That show is very, very fun. You know, it's super funny because uh, we've been very blessed to be on many different media outlets, many different shows. Mm-hmm. I can always tell because I'll get stopped, you know, in, in, in public once in a while. Yep. And you'll hear people go, oh, I love you. I love your show. I love your show. Yep. And I can always tell by the age of the person <laughs> saying it, what right. they talk about. Yep. So it's like, are you talking about the outdoor one? Are you yep. talking about Netflix? Are you talking about you know, like I like our, our feature on Eater, you yep. know, you know, Bon Appetit, whatever. And it's always like that age group that's like 62 or above. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Like that's, you know, because, <laughs> because you know, it's, it's public television, yep. PBS public television, and prime time mm-hmm. television is Sunday at 2 p.m. <laughs> and they're always like, hey, chef, we love you. And I'm like, look, and I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you're talking about relish. Yep. Because they look like grandparents. Yep. You know, and, and they, they always think they're so funny because they always think that we're like, filming like it's like literally we filmed last week and we put on goes yeah like you were talking about this one restaurant with this one you know mm-hmm. you describe it to me and i was like yeah i was like two years ago right that was you know <laughs> but they're like you know that place sounds good i should go visit it and i'm like oh yeah pandemic they had a close right yeah oh and then they're like well wasn't that last week it was open and i'm like no no like, <laughs> like tv works yeah production works yeah and so, yeah, that's it's always really, really fun. And, and that one, I'm really long. I, you know, I my agent's always really funny about it because she's like, you know, she's like, L.A., like, you know, yep. like, okay, let's get the best deal. And so I love her and I get what her job is, but she's like, ah, man, like, there's no pay in that. And, yep. You know, like, I don't, I don't want you to do something where you're not, you're not getting your worth. Like, I was just like, Lauren, like, I love this one. Like, this one is like, mm-hmm. giving back, you know, like, not giving back, but this is the one where, like, 
the producers, Amy and Amy and Brittany, like they never. I was like, this new kid, and they're like, hey, we have an idea. And literally, it was going to be that. The very first episode with me and my mom thinking again, mm-hmm. making her a steam bun, the golf balls, you know, and that was it. And they're like, we pitched it to them, and they wanted, they want you to host. And I'm like, like, with Ooh. the bun? And it's like, <laughs> no, like six episodes. Yeah. Like, like six consecutive episodes? <laughs> and so I I literally told people, I didn't, because people were like, where did you go for your media training? And yeah. We shot guys at media training. And I'm like, yeah, I went to PBS. Yep. And uh, I just like failed at it, you know, but I was very blessed because producers and directors are amazing. I just love them. And, you know, and so I'm really excited. That one, that one, we got another season come up. We're, we want to grow that to be really big, you know, so yeah. I mean, that's awesome. Last summer, I enjoyed seeing you. I, I'm a huge Iron Chef fan. So seeing you on Iron yeah. Chef Quest, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, I was very, you know, that, that show was very, it was incredible. You know, I mean, I, first of all, I was like dumbfounded that Gabriella Kamara was standing next to me. Mm-hmm. Dude, I'm in my mind, I'm like, don't fanboy, man. I've been before. Be professional. Yep. She's the sweetest lady ever, you know? Very small, petite, huge personality. Mm-hmm. She gives me a big hug, and after we were done, she gives me a big hug and whispers in my ear, yeah, I did not want to cook against you. I want to cook with you. Aww. And I was just like, can we record that for everyone to understand it? Yep. See that she really did say that to me. I didn't make that up. Yep. You know, <laughs> it was amazing. It was a great time. You know, we filmed it in the midst of all the pandemic. Bullshit. Yeah. So we, like, as a group, as a restaurant, we were all like, we need this win, guys. Not yeah. an actual win, but yeah. we need this. Like, this is something fun that we can celebrate together. Mm-hmm. You know, it was incredible. And... Um, the response from it globally has been incredible Hmong people all around the country and mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a group of Hmong people that ended up in France because of French colonization mm. in Southeast Asia mm-hmm. and one of my favorite things is I got a DM from uh, a young Hmong lady who lives on the outskirts of you know outside of Paris and she's like hi I wanted you to know I'm Hmong Wow. She's like, we watched the show because my, my boyfriend is a huge Dominic Cram fan and mm-hmm. there. And when I was scrolling through, I saw you, your name, and I thought to myself, hey, I think he's Hmong. Mm-hmm. When I watched that episode in that first introduction, and by, by no means of me doing anything, he goes, I cried because it's the first time mm. I saw our people on this global level. Yeah. And she goes, I'm, you know, my, my boyfriend's French. My parents, I, I'm disconnected from our culture. Yeah. I, she said, I felt so proud to be Hmong at that time. And I just looked at my boyfriend and goes, that's everything. That's our people. That's our story. Oh. You know? And, and, and she goes, being in France, they don't talk about Hmong people. Mm. You know? And so it was like, yeah, like it was a global thing. And there were Hmong people from Australia that, you know, DM'd us. And mm-hmm. said, wow. We love showing this episode to our friends saying, these are our people. You know, and wow. so that to me, like I'm not a huge like competition, you know, person, you know, food TV person. Mm-hmm. But I knew that when we knew that when Netflix came had this offer, we're like, hey, we got to do this, and if we're doing it, like we're doing it the long way. We're gonna do monk food on here. Yeah. Even though some of the producers are like, well, we want you to be more global. Mm-hmm. We're like, no, nah, we're sticking monk food, and and you know, also knew that we're going with that strategy, we probably wouldn't win. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like if 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 you use that secret ingredient and all these like global cuisine that yep. like, judges are really looking for. So I'm like, I don't care, man. Like it's, you know, we got on here. Like that's a win for us. But 
I also just knew that. I mean, again, we also said, our, our, the chefs, we also said, dude, if we beat Gabriel Camara, we know this is rigged, right? Yeah. Like, well, like, oh, we agree. Like, <laughs> it was rigged. Yeah. Like, we know it was fake TV. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that was amazing. It was super fun. We get to, you know, we get to, you know, be part of that, you know, kind of that, you know, Iron Chef family. Mm-hmm. So it was amazing, yeah. Well, and then obviously you have Farrell. I mean, congratulations on the first season. I know that you guys are renewed um, for the second season, which will drop later this year. So, yeah. That's I insane. Would, I would even, sorry, I don't mean to interject, but we were actually shooting season three. So I leave in. What? Uh, yeah. In, I leave in 10 days to go do season three. So wow. season two was all filmed this fall. Wow. Slash like right beginning of winter. Yeah. That comes out this fall I think I think it comes on the fall yeah uh, 2023 fall but I'm leaving in a couple weeks here to go shoot season 3 so we got season 3 renewed wow about a month and a half ago yeah so we're we're in the midst of season 3 and just uh, you know we I think they have all the creatures down all the locations <laughs> down we just need to uh, clear up a couple of them yeah but yeah we're, so I'm really excited about that I always you know I, I, I tell my team that filming wise mm-hmm. tell them we um, do, if they would allow me an equivalent of about eight weeks a year to do filming projects, mm. like, you know, like 10 months out of the year, I'm, I'm here, I'm, I'm a restaurant guy, yep. I'm here, I'm with you, you know, and so we train, we have an incredible team that takes care of business, that mm-hmm. takes everything while I'm gone, which is an equivalent of about, you know, eight, maybe nine months, or what's our weeks? Weeks, yeah. Then go filming. All, I mean, that's like adding all the days together. So that's insane. Yeah, it, yeah, we're really excited. Like, there's some creatures that are coming up where I'm like, okay, holy crap, I have no idea. I got, I gotta just like, you know, like get jacked up. There's some freaky stuff where I'm like, Frick. season two was pretty crazy. We had some freaky moments where I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? You know? um, and it, yeah, it was amazing. Season one was awesome. I learned a lot from season one mm-hmm. to season three, you know, and sometimes you also learn that nature does not, they don't, they don't go along with uh, right. filming production crews, you know, yeah. and just, <laughs> you have to be like, okay, I am trapping a beaver right now. Yep. And this beaver looks like literally is an overgrown rat. Mm-hmm. The, you know, skin. <laughs> <laughs> and, it up. and it's got these weird teeth looking at me and it's freaking 40 pounds mm. and it's heavy and it smells like wet dog whoa you gotta do it yeah well what drew you to the show i mean i love the concept you have you know these animals and you know you end up cooking them later and you actually have to trap them as well like what about all of that made you say this is something that i want to be a part of so you know so here's a couple things before we get into anything i always look at like what am i doing right Right. so first of all i'll be very very honest and i've been very honest all the media outlets about this when you think of outdoor, you think of white dudes, hillbilly hit, yes. hunters, probably, you know, mm-hmm. leaning more towards the right. That's right. <laughs> well, when you think of the outdoor channel, mm-hmm. you know the persons you're thinking of, right? Yep. Yeah, they, yes. There are those people that watch that, right? Yep. And I'm not mad at that because one of the things I've learned is you know what you know. That's right. You know? Some of these, some of these kids grew up in the wherever, like backwoods, whatever. Yep. They had some ideology and some, you know, kind of worldview that was put inside of them, and that's what they do. Yep. You know what you know. Yep. 
I'm not mad at that. You know? mm-hmm. so I, I get mad when then they use that as their driving force to, you know, whatever. You know? Yeah. Uh, that's when I'm like, okay, dude. I, I bet you at the end of the day, like, you probably have good intentions, but your ideology is bullshit. You know? Exactly. Um, yes. So, yeah, I get that. To be completely honest, we some of the you know some of the media stuff that we did for the outdoor mm-hmm. it would be like me talking and then you know oh yeah you know next week guys we have Donald Trump Jr. on it yep <laughs> yeah. and it's like and, and it's so silly because I have some friends who are smaller minded I go oh man you feel right doing that I'm like yeah I'm okay like mm-hmm. I'm not BFF with Donald Trump Jr. that's right like you know this is a media outlet. It's like, get, yep. we live in a world where, and we live in a country where it's okay to have different perspectives. Mm-hmm. So right away, I knew that's what was it. You know, it wasn't like we we're going to, like, this is a CNN show. And yeah. But here's the deal. I guarantee you the 90%, you know, and that's, and that's me being generous, of the people watching that network has never heard of Hmong people. Right. They never heard of the Hmong story. They never heard the fact that the Hmong, if you want to talk about patriotism, mm-hmm. the Hmong people, like my dad at a young age, mm-hmm. was contracted out by the U.S. government and trained by the CIA and the special forces to fight in the mountains of Laos for American interests. Mm. They were patriots before they were guaranteeing any citizenship into this country. Wow. So when you have people well. saying, oh, yeah, like true citizenship, yep. like, you know, blah, 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 like patriotism, blah, blah. my father's one of those. Yeah. You know, he's a patriot. He loved America so much that he risked his life to fight for America, not knowing that he'll ever come to America. Yeah. Yeah. I get to talk about that. The whole intro of our show is about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it literally, I mean, at the end of the day, the other thing too is the idea of going out into the woods, the jungles, to some waterway, mm-hmm. finding whatever native creature that's out there or or invasive creature out there and harvesting them hunting them cooking them mm-hmm. that's what like that's what they do in the mountains alone right you know lizards bats sparrows mm. you know like weird looking eels mm-hmm. that's what my parents did that's what my dad did as a boy mm. i get to do what our people have been doing for thousands and thousands of years I get to do that and this show about it. Yeah. While others might think this is weird and like, oh, gross. Mm-hmm. Eating eating an iguana and a lizard for Hmong people, mm-hmm. in the mountains of Laos, is not eel and gross. Mm-hmm. That's actually Tuesday. Right. It's called Tuesday. Mm-hmm. That's the protein they can get. Yeah. Having pork and beef, that's a luxury. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, that's us. Like that. Like that's a luxury. That's like, oh my gosh, we have pork. That's amazing. Yeah. Celebration. Mm hmm. Well, and a lot of people. Out of a. Yeah. Well, a lot of people in this country, once again, you know, you grew up on the East Coast or live in the East Coast, it's one way, but, you know, in the Midwest, people are eating squirrel, rabbit, like, absolutely. you know, like you said, it's about survival and these amazing dishes that can be created with whatever you have that's outside if if that's where you happen to live. So letting people know that that's not just something that happens in other parts of of the world, but even in this country, there are a lot of things that we eat that are not just chicken cows and whatever yeah and i also think too that it, 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 if you dig in a little deeper what i really am trying to say to the audience is this look 
at home, you might make chicken dumpling soup. Yeah. Now we're making squirrel dumpling soup. Mm-hmm. Like you just change the protein now. Again. Yeah. We're different, but we're not that different. Mm-hmm. Because the base to a whatever, like a chicken or a squirrel dumpling soup, the base is still the base. You just change the protein. Yeah. And the reason why you use chicken is it's easier for you to get chicken at your store. Mm-hmm. Why is, you know, uh, Daryl from Southern Illinois using squirrels? Mm-hmm. Well, because that's in his backyard. Yep. And then the closest grocery store is an hour away. Mm-hmm. You know, and this isn't him trying to be cool and be like, oh, yeah, there's a shock shock factor. Yeah. Daryl uses squirrels because he's got plenty of squirrels that have been gnawing on fucking acorn. Yeah. You know, and they got that, they got that extra thick hindquarter, you know what I'm saying? Yep. With three C's kind of thick. Yeah. You know? You squirrels know, are vicious. Like where, yeah. Yeah. Like she, you know, if that squirrel wore like, you know, yoga pants. Yep. Yeah, she'll be turning heads kind of thick. Yep. We are. Well, in college, um, Indiana University, you would hit a certain section of the quad and the squirrels would yeah. use us as target practice. They would throw acorns on our heads. So you would always see people ducking yeah. like under these like massive trees. So, I mean, I don't mess around with squirrels. <laughs> At our college, it was like a $150 fine if you, if you, uh, uh, what was the word they used? If you, like, um, it wasn't like irritated the squirrels. Oh, no. Basically, if, if, if you, like, made them feel uncomfortable. Mm. So I'm like, dude, you get a bunch of mung dad down here in one night. Problem solved. Salt. Get my, get my dad and my uncles here. Problem solved. We would not be dealing with any of this shenanigans here. Yeah, like, so, yeah. And we'd get those squirrels that turn black. Like in the winter, they had oh. black fur. Like they were angry. Yeah, yeah. You know, we had the, we had the white. We had one white albino red eye devil squirrel that ran around. We all knew who she was. We didn't know. We're just like, dang it, something happened to you. You know, little demon squirrel running around. Yeah, got loose sure. from the science building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm just like, dude, where is this like arch devil white squirrel? You know, we see him, we're like, oh boy. And that one wasn't afraid of anyone. Too. That one come out to you. Yeah. You know, what are you doing, bro? What are you doing, bro? Have your sandwich, bro? I'm just like, frick, dude. I can't irritate you because I get fine. Exactly. You know? <laughs> but, like, I wanted to kill you. Put your head on a little stick for the others to know that you know. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm willing. I'm willing to go down that route. I love that. Yeah. So yeah. you have all this TV, and you also have your own podcast, Munglish, which yeah. focuses on yeah. people and culture and Asian excellence. How does it feel to use your platform in this way to not only you know talk about things that you want to, but also bringing on like other people that you also want to highlight? Yeah. So Munglish came out of this idea where we also before that you know we. We had this little podcast called White on Rice. Mm. We were just like interviewing all people in Minneapolis and you know St. Paul, and just like all these cool people. And it was our, kind of our way to um, to like counter like not being able to really hang out and see with people. Yeah. COVID. So we're like, well, we're just gonna then put you in this room six feet away from us from our table, and then talk to you about what you're doing so people got to know. And it was really cool because then people were like, dude, it was so awesome. Like, I feel like I'm meeting all these new people by just listening to these like long form podcasts you're doing. Yep. And we weren't like really like smart about anything. We were just kind of like, oh, hey, like this is kind of what we're thinking of doing. Mm-hmm. And then after a while, I'm like, hey, man, like we should really think about this. The idea of Munglish came from this idea that when we were growing up, we would speak to our parents in, uh, in Mong, you know, mm-hmm. but then there would be like these English words. Like, yeah. Computer. 
And so you'd be like, you know, mom, blah, blah, blah. Like, uh, we need a new computer. And you would say that. It's like, mom, you want a little computer. Computer. And and pe- my wife friends would be like, oh, that's so weird. I understand the word computer. You know, and and so we, so so the Hmong kids, we just start calling them Monglish. Like, yeah. Monglish, you know? And I noticed that Monglish, what it really meant was it's, it's this beautiful collision of two cultures. Mm-hmm. You know, when you have two cultures collide, you know, you create that third culture. Yeah. And in that third culture, you're trying to make sense of what it means. Because when you create a new culture, you're trying to figure out what the norms are. Yep. You're trying to figure out like how to speak a different language. Like, like, um, like when I, I think about like, okay, so for example, you know, you, you do fashion and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when I think about like, like, for example, like when the hip, when hip hop culture hit like quote unquote mainstream, mm-hmm. culture, there was this like third culture that was created, right? Yep. Because like mainstream culture had this very, like everything's like foremost, you know, you spoke, you know, you speak, you enunciate, very yep. clear, da, 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 da. And then you had hip hop culture that hit it. Yep. And it was just like very, lo- I wouldn't say loose, but you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like go with the flow and you had this different flowage. Yep. You know, and and then it's like, okay, now does like, now does mainstream culture then become hip hop culture? Now is hip hop yep. mainstream culture? Or how does mainstream culture affect hip hop culture and now does hip hop culture then become diluted? Yeah. You know, and there's all these questions. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Hmong people, like Hmong, like young Hmong millennials or even Hmong millennials who were either came to this country really young, like I did, mm-hmm. or was born in this country. The Gen Z, yep. the, the Hmong Gen Z. Well, I'm born, I'm an American. Yeah. But man, I'm still Hmong. Yep. How does this work? And so we just had, we got in and we got all these Hmong guests that come in who live in that, who straddle both those cultures mm-hmm. and who talk about. You know, like, hey, like, you know, I see Ryder, a, a good friend of mine. She's an incredible, incredible, incredible artist. Mm. You know, uh, you know, uh, water painting, watercolor, all that stuff. Her husband's white. They've been married for like 18 years. Mm-hmm. You know, and just talking through that. Yeah. You know, we, we're talking to, we're talking to some, uh, like, you know, Pahua, you know, uh, another, another good friend of mine. Uh, she uh, is the vice president of the largest medical you know, uh, like hospital here, mm-hmm. you know, she's the vice president. Like you're an executive. Yeah. Like talking to, talking to a mom girl, let alone, uh, what, like, you know, young girls about what it means to be an executive and you're rolling, you know, with mm-hmm. all the big boys who make decisions for billion dollar questions. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you do that as, just not as a woman, but just as a mom? Yeah. You know, where then you have all these other expectations to be like, oh, Hmong women are docile, they, you know, they're submissive. Mm-hmm. You know, but how do you gauge that? You know, so so it was it's such an incredible podcast. We dig deep into that. We, you know, we got um, you know, these incredible guests. Like, um, you know, um, Li Pao Zhong, who is the foremost, uh, best, I would say, then the most knowledgeable Hmong um, historian on our people. He traced our mm. people back to 7,000 years. Wow. You know, so it's just like talking to him and listening to him, what he talks about in our, you know, in, in, in the Hmong stories and in, in our culture, we really understood like, oh, this is where we come from. Mm-hmm. And we get to, and we get to share that with this huge audience group. And again, we've gotten some really incredible response. You know, people, you know, DM our producer. And I, you know, it's one of those other things too. I want to put really good production value on it. So mm-hmm. spend a few good pennies on it to, to make this production value really well. Cause we believe that 
doing something. We want to make it beautiful. We mm-hmm. want to make it great, you know. And we also know that you know, for for Hmong people, sometimes it's just like, well, just get the product out there. It yeah, look good. And we're like, no, we live in a world where like that looks matter, mm-hmm. the way it sounds, the way it's put together, you know, strategic, you know. And so, yeah. And, it's been really cool. I mean, that is amazing. And just looking at, you know, your career and, and the number of accolades and awards and your restaurants, your, te- your TV personality, a host and having your podcast. And I'm sure there's a ton of other projects that are coming down the line. What do you want your legacy to, to be seen as? Uh, honestly, and I, and I mean this with all my heart, mm-hmm. I don't actually want to be seen at any of my legacy. Yeah, I mm. I mean, I, there's no legacy here. It's mom and dad's legacy. Mm. I am merely a mirror that reflects it. I want people to look at what we do, and then I want them to be driven to these two people. Mm-hmm. My mom and my dad, who are in their 70s, who are grandparents, who live in the suburbs. They have a little piece of plot of land where they farm. They have a small mm-hmm. farm where all the produce comes to our restaurant. Mm-hmm. No money asked, no money put down. Wow. And, and and all they all they want to do is they, they just want us to live a life that they knew that they could never have mm-hmm. but they want us to live it mm. you know and and so that's all it is I want people to look at what we do and I want to direct them back to our mom my mom and dad so the reason why was this last year I want uh, when I was nominated for the, the beard mm-hmm. finalist and my, my, my sister's a therapist. Mm-hmm. She's a family therapist. But she always therapizes the whole family. <laughs> I don't even think that's a real word, but I always say that. She therapizes the mm-hmm. And I'm pretty sure she called my mom and explained to her what, like, the chain spirit is. Right. What that honor meant and everything. Because my mom wouldn't know it by herself. So when when mom called me randomly that night, mm-hmm. it was announced. Yeah. And said, I'm so proud of you. I'm mm-hmm. just like, oh, like, my call, Judy. Yeah. yeah. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, my mom goes. I, I she we were again this conversation. She's like, "Hey, I want to say thank you. I'm driving home from work, so I'm already emotionally drained. Just more tired. Mm-hmm. I was like a Tuesday or Wednesday night or something like that. So I, I think she was like, where I was on the phone was late, and she's like, I really wanted to tell. Like she, you know, we started talking. She's like, "Congratulations, I'm so proud of you." Da, da, da. She said, "I want to tell you a story that I feel a little shameful about, but I wasn't going to plan to. T- I, my plan wasn't." to tell you kids about it until mm-hmm. like, I was on my deathbed because mm-hmm. I really felt a little shame in it. She said that when I was younger, we were caught and we were put in this war prison camp. Mm-hmm. And she said that they were in there for a year. She said it was the worst time ever. Mm-hmm. There was no food. Communist propaganda would come in and say, just leave your family, marry a communist man, mm-hmm. forget your life." And they would, they would, you know, there was not enough food for the children. There was mm-hmm. no, kids were dying. Her first husband was, uh, that she was killed. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and her her babies were all taken away. Mm. And she said that she it was the worst thing possible. And she they never knew that they were going to be. They didn't think that they were going to be. Mm. And so you know, we grew up we grew up in a Christian household. And so she always said, said every morning I woke up in that camp, and I would pray to God that He would let me die. As an act of mercy, oh. I felt life was so tough yeah. that the only way that I could escape is to die. And she goes, "I wanted to die every morning. I wanted to die. I wanted to die." Mm. She said that one morning. She goes, "One morning, I woke up and I had that same prayer. I said, God, could you let me die today, please?'" Mm. And she said that, but that was different in that morning. 
was that there was a voice inside her heart. She said that this little voice said to me, I'm not going to let you die because I have great plans for your children. Wow. You're going to change the world. You're going to do big things. So I'm going to need you to survive a little longer. I'm going to need you to push forward a little longer. And she said that when I heard that your name is among the names of all these great people in the country mm-hmm. and that you were one of the best and they were looking to you for leadership. Aww. He goes, I knew in that moment that it made sense. That moment, 50 years ago, it made sense. Why God didn't let me die in that camp. Wow. And I can hear it today. And I don't know, Kimmy, when you hear things like that, mm-hmm. for, for me, it like, everything changed for me it was no longer oh like what's this great thing a legacy you're gonna leave yeah mm-hmm. wow somebody suffered somebody went through pain somebody went through a war camp mm-hmm. a trauma yeah to live on a glimmer of a hope that one day your children I'm, i have like you know it's like god is like i have a special plan for your children mm. And I need you to go through all of this. I need you to take all of this. And one day you're going to see it. Wow. And that's it. I don't give a shit about my legacy. Like, I just want to be known as a, I don't, actually, I don't want to be known. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to be known. We, I love these interviews because I get to talk about them. I love, you know, you know why I do the TV stuff? Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to be a TV star. That, yeah. There's too much bullshit in it. <laughs> I do that so that people can look at it and say, wow, we, we have to go to this restaurant. Yep. Wow. We want to know more about his mom and dad. Wow. We want to know more about their story. Mm. I'm just an echo. If there's a word of what's your legacy, I want to be an echo of them. That's mm. it. Hands down. Like that, that's the rest of stuff is just little details. I mean, I have never talked and we've talked to a number of chefs and, and people do talk about their family. I have never talked about someone that in every facet of everything that you do is paying homage to your parents, your people like it's ingrained in like every single thing. I, I've never talked to someone that has just been so authentically yeah. that. Yeah, wow. I was very we were we were interviewing PR groups and I was very mad at this one PR group that said yeah, like the whole family thing, you know, like family and culture. That's your shtick. I don't yeah. care. I, like, I, I sit straight on with, F you, dude. Like, I wanted to say F you, dude. <laughs> I was like, F you, dude. If you think this is a shtick, yeah. I don't think you're right. I don't think you're the right people for me to work with us. Yeah. This isn't a shtick, man. Yeah. This, is my, my, this is life. Like, like here's the deal. There's going to be a little, there's going to be chefs that are going to come and out cook us. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Good for you. But they're not going to tell our story better than us. Yeah. Like, you know, like this, like I live this, like I'll die this, you know, like yeah. I, don't, I don't give a crap, you know, like I will, I will live in the basement of wherever to keep everything at low cost so we can put all our funding, mm-hmm. all our funding into making, to making this work, you know? And so, I mean, that's what I do. I live in a basement of my buddy's house, you know, mm-hmm. like 400 bucks for rent, you know, just so that I, I don't. I don't, and it's not like a pat on years back, but I don't take a salary. Yeah. I haven't taken a salary in two years, you know? Wow. And, and so, so when, when our team talks about who's making sacrifices, I want you to know I'm the first to make all the sacrifices. Yeah. I'm the first to interject my own personal money when we can't get payroll, you know, going mm-hmm. last month. 
Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to do that. Like, we're going to do that. There's no amount of cost that I'm going to be like, well, I don't know. No, like, we're, we're going to do this. Wow. And so, and that's like, that's, and that's, and that's the thing. Like, I, I want to teach our chefs and our team. Mm-hmm. Find something like that in your life that you're that passionate about. I don't yep. give a crap what it is. Find it. And you war for it. You fight for it. And, you know, just the same way. Like mom and dad war and fight. Still today, they still do that. They're retired. They don't have to do that. We're all adults. We have our own lives. We do mm-hmm. our own thing. But they still, you know, freaking my birthday. My dad still gives me like a hundred bucks. He's always like, "This is just for gas." And I'm like, dad, "What?" It's like we just want to make sure you have enough gas in your car. And I'm like, oh, "Okay," you know, like they're still they're still warring for us. You know, yeah, all things. Wow. And, and and it just it never stops. And and I think that. Like their, their 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 heart has this go go go, you mm-hmm. know. And I'm like, man, if and I always look at my father, and I know that sometimes it gets very, you know, I don't know, I don't give a crap, but it's just like I had a great example. Of what a man is. Yeah. What a good father is. What a good husband is. You know. And I tell people like, like, how do you know what it means to be a good man? Look at my dad. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, if I could be a quarter of who he is. How he takes care of us, how he loves us. Like, he literally fought a war to get us here. Yeah. Like, I could be a quarter of that. Like, I mean, hopefully I'll be a good husband one day. Hopefully I'll get, be a good dad one day myself. Mm-hmm. But, like, that's who I'm looking to, you know? Mm-hmm. So my mom, my mom ferociously loves us. You know, she never is giving up on us. Every day I visit her, you know, when I visit her, mm-hmm. I'm like, honey, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for the restaurant. You know, mm-hmm. we, we, we love you. You know, it's constant. Even when I'm like, dude, it's scary. I'm giving up on myself. I'm done. She would just pull me aside. She's like, hey, this too shall pass. It's okay. Mm. You know? And so this is coming from somebody who sat in a war camp yeah. as prisoners and say, it'll pass. Yeah. She's seen it all. She's seen hell. She's seen evil. Yeah. You know? And she's like, this will pass. You know? And wow. so over COVID, over COVID, they looked at us and like, that's okay. This all will pass. Mm. We've been through stuff like this before. Yeah. They, they didn't panic. They didn't panic. They're like, oh, yeah, this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> It'll pass. We've been through stuff like this, you know, and I love it. I love it. That's like that's my parents. Wow. And so yeah, like I said, like food is just the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. I always say food. What we're doing is just the tip of the iceberg. There's some deeper and richer here, and you know, and I and I really appreciate you know media outlets like yours who want to dig into that instead of like we have the easy law hanging through like oh this is Mm -hmm. a story culture. Yep. Oh yeah, you're all about family. Yep. Okay, if you want to do a 500 word piece on that, I agree. Like we we can do that too. Mm -hmm. But for those who sit and say, hey, I'm going to sit here for two hours and listen to this. I'm like, I'll go deep, man. I'll I'll go, I'll go deep, deep into this. Well, and we love that. That's our whole thing. Like, is the story and okay, you do know that person for what you think you know them for, but there's a why and there's a how. And the why and the how, you know, another, I had three majors. So one of them was also sociology. I love understanding why people think the way they do and the connective tissue. And that has been the course of our, as of Friday, 88 issues is connective tissue. Um, Because if you, I believe whether you talk about, we cover like nine verticals, whatever vertical you're talking about, you will want to support that person even more when you understand the why because a bite of food a piece of clothing whatever but when you know oh it takes 300 hands to make that particular piece this person came from this place and did this now you're thinking about it and you're getting into that visceral tissue and it's not about the person anymore it's about the experience and being able to share that with somebody else and so it took two years (laughs) we finally got you And by the way, I, I look at your IG account and uh-huh. all the people you guys interviewed. Yeah. I tell my buddies, 
man, there's a lot of pretty people on there. <laughs> like, I was like, maybe I should tell Kimmy to reconsider. I'm like, oh, these are very beautiful people that are on here. You know? like, we have a lot of different awesome. people. It's about engaging yeah, it was, stories. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome just to see uh, the, the different groups of people there. The mm-hmm. people that were from there. And people that I admire myself. Too. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that's awesome. You know, so I felt a little fanboy going, yeah. Yep. Cool. Yep. <laughs> I yeah, fanboy a lot. Yeah. Like I always do a little before I talk to somebody because I'm just like, <laughs> it, it may have been a person yeah. that I've eaten at their restaurant a million times. It might have been someone yeah. that's completely yeah. on the other side of the world, but I follow them on Instagram. Yeah. And so we really, yeah. as a team, sit down and really sketch out why is this person here? And I have one last question. Yeah. It is a three-parter. This is called 63 yeah. Mixed Routines. It looks at three things that you do enjoy and have in the morning, in the afternoon, and also at night. So what are three things that you do in the morning, have, or enjoy? Uh, in the morning. Uh, this is so silly. Okay, so <laughs> I have a morning rhythm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Oh, this is super silly. This is just like an in-depth into like whatever. <laughs> uh, I literally have to talk myself out of bed. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like I, I, I have, so like my, uh, my, my light in my room mm-hmm. is, um, is uh it's on my it's bluetooth on my phone mm-hmm. so i get on my phone and i put it to like the brightest light mm-hmm. you know so, and so i turn up all the light and it like, hurts your eyes <laughs> yep because it's like get up yeah it's time to get up mm-hmm. you know so i need that um and then i i need my music in the morning mm-hmm. like, if, there, if i wake up in complete silence i can talk myself to go back to bed like yeah oh, time is brown. Mm-hmm. you know so i need like so, so I, I blare music like you know you know, if, you know, if it's like Eminem, yep. Need to Breathe, like whatever music, you know, that I'm listening to or else on Spotify. And the third thing is I give myself less than uh, 20 minutes to Ooh. get out the door. Wow. If I don't, if I, if I lounge around, be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Yep. Like, then I'm just going to stay there forever. Wow. Like, that's like my, that's like my biggest issue. Uh-huh. It's like making sure like I get myself less give myself less than 20 minutes from from stepping on the, it's so weird from stepping <laughs> on like the ground yeah you know what I'm saying of my bed yep to like out the door in my car I'm like you gotta do it in less than 20 minutes whoa you know, and it, 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 it's it's simple for me uh huh like, like I, I'm an evening shower you mm-hmm. know, so I shower in the evening yep I don't know it's like, it's like a, it's like I don't know if it's an Asian thing or whatever mm-hmm. you know, the evening shower and then, but I, I, you know, like I what, brush your teeth, you know, yep. get, get yourself going. You know, I don't really do breakfast at home. Mm-hmm. You know, that's like my big thing. Uh, yeah. I love it's, that. You know, it's like a game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. I, I have to turn it into a game. I have to. Because like, I'd be like, I'd get in the car, like, oh, frick, that was 22 minutes. Yeah, it's get like, it together, ah. man. You know? <laughs> You're like yeah. the guy in the Christmas story when he changed the tire and it was like over the, the time limit. And he's like, ah, oh, it's nuts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's me 100%. Because I, I, if I don't do that, and I, it, it, literally, if I'm like 23 minutes and I'm like, well, you know, I'm already on 23, so 30 doesn't hurt. Right. I'm literally, like. I'm just, you know, that's why I try not to work from home because mm-hmm. I get anything done. Yep. I end up going, this TikTok video is funny. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so literally it's Monday and Tuesdays are my office days. Mm-hmm. So I literally in the car in less than 20 minutes and I'm at my favorite coffee shop, you know? So wow. yeah, those are the three things. It's weird. I love uh, it. That I, I got to do it. If I don't, I freak out. 
like, oh, frick, my whole day is like messed up now, you know? So what are those things in the afternoon for the three well, items? afternoon is this. Yep. Afternoon, one of them is check up with the team. Yep. You know, that's why I hate going on vacation. Like, I don't do vacation. Mm-hmm. I hate, like, even, like, when we're filming, also, like, when we're filming and we're, I'm out of town filming or we're whatever, filming and doing all this stuff, I'm mm-hmm. still checking with them. One is checking with the team. Mm-hmm. You know, I am... Man, like to be completely honest, I'm probably one day when I'm parent, I'm going to be out parent. I know it. I'm, I'm working on myself. <laughs> you know, uh, I Carlin, who's like one of the, she is like one of the sweetest ladies we have. She's one of our, uh, she's our culinary. Uh, she's our um, catering and um, uh, special events director. Mm-hmm. And so her and I work closely together. Mm-hmm. And I, I told her that I'm, I'm going to tell her wife that I'm like, um, is it cool if like. Like, we're, like, work wife and husband. She goes, oh, yeah. That's all I think. So I always, like, I'll text her. I'm like, hey, how are the kids doing? Yeah. You know, like, I, I would text her. I'm like, kids doing okay? She goes, yeah, we're fine. And I'm like, are you just saying that? Like, you know. <laughs> uh, so so I check in with the team. And I, I always have the great intention of getting lunch, but I never get lunch. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's, that's my other, that's my other, uh, that's my other uh, thing that I do. It's like, oh yeah, I gotta get lunch here. Mm-hmm. But I usually never get lunch, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's usually a snack. And then the, the third thing, which is kind of goes alongside with the with the uh, with the uh, second thing is too, is it's kind of weird, but it's like I I know how important lunch is, mm-hmm. so that's when if I need to if I want to connect with friends, mm. I try to do lunch lunch meetings or not meetings, but like lunch catch up you know, and hang out with them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lunch catch up, you know, and that's probably the best time to catch me. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but I try and I intentionally try. I have a very like I have this really tight small group of friends where I just like we just really believe in like building into each other. Mm-hmm. So uh, so we try to do lunch, you know. But then yeah, so those are the three things. I, I have good intentions with lunch. Yep. I don't ever do it much, <laughs> but when I do, it's with it's friends. Like lunch with lunch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, have, I try to doubt. I call it double tapping on lunch. Where it's like now I I got lunch mm-hmm. and I was also engaged. You know, got to you know connect with a buddy. Yep. Uh, yeah. So that's. Um, and then at night, what are the three things? Yeah, at night, I think the three things is this. It depends on if I'm hopping to one of the restaurants and checking out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, I get to do that. Um, I all, it sounds really weird. I don't mean to make it sound like I'm an alcoholic. But, <laughs> but, uh, but like, my, I'm, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of the restaurant industry as much as I'm a part of the restaurant industry, yep. right? Mm-hmm. Like, that, to me, is, like, the biggest thing. The problem is, like, people just think, like, oh, like, you work a lot in the industry. Like, you probably, you know, don't go. I'm like, actually, I do. I mm-hmm. try to make time to go to my buddy's restaurants. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially, and my favorite thing to do is just to park up on their bars, you know, bars <laughs> yep. or whatever, you know, and just, and have a drink, grab a little food, and then also, again, it's my way of connecting with my buddies mm-hmm. who own restaurants, you know? Yep. Um, and and so I, I try to do that in the evenings. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I'm very blessed to have a team that runs a really tight ship. Yeah. You know, so I don't, you know, uh, that uh, in the evening, I oh, this is really bad, but, <laughs> but I don't do it much as much as, but like, I try to spend time with family. Like my, nice. like I have like a bunch of nieces and nephew mm-hmm. parents. You know, I don't get to do that as much as I want. Mm-hmm. Again, but I, I try to spend time with them. Uh, a few of my nieces and nephew think I'm like the coolest person ever because I got bit by a snake. Uh-huh. Like a yeah. Um, 
so so they always talk about that and they always want to see i have a nephew who always wants to see the mark and i'm like dude you've seen my hand like 30 times right I, I, you know where it is <laughs> you know he's, he's he's like three or four so yeah he wants to see it mm-hmm. so i feel i feel like you know i, I uh yeah so I, I try to do that and i think uh, the, the third thing I try to do uh, and in the evening is uh, have uh, um, what's it called like a, like a, like a process of shutting down mm-hmm. you know yep that's I think that that's very important to me like if it's just as lazy as you know like putting on a show that I've been meaning to catch up on mm-hmm. uh, slowly uh, shut down but also uh, yeah so those are the kind of they're kind of weird. No, they're not weird. That's yeah. just your routine. That's what you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I think people, and I think that this is people only see like the one percent on social media. So yep. like, oh, you travel all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, nah, man. Like ninety nine point nine percent of my life is pretty boring. Like, it, mm-hmm. it, well, I. Um, yeah. I love it. Um, that's that's kind of why we created our nines features because once again, there's yeah. things that you just wouldn't think a person would do. I, I forget who it was, a uh, celebrity fitness trainer who also used to work with the Lakers, uh, Gunnar Peterson, and like one of his favorite oh, yeah. things. Okay, so he, you know, you think about him, this guy is like killing yeah. it, doing all this stuff. And so I think he did he did a routines and he was like yeah and i always like to sit at home in my home theater and have reese's peanut butter cups and i'm like wait yeah. what and he was like oh yeah he's like I'm, I'm crazy for them i'm like me too but i just never thought that gunner peterson who i have worked out with personally um he always makes fun yeah. of me that i work out in full makeup full jewelry is sitting at home yeah. kicking up his feet having some reese's cups <laughs> Joke. Right. My favorite dinner. Mm-hmm. My favorite dinner. Like, you're like, oh, you know, what do you do? And everyone always thinks that it's like this bougie, fancy, mm-hmm. tank course meal. I'm like, dude, completely honest. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I am frozen pizza. Nice. Frozen pizza or frozen lasagna. That's it. Yes. Like, oh, really? What? <laughs> uh, the, the, one of the local TV here mm-hmm. like, did this whole special thing on like, what chefs like have in their kitchen and cupboard at home and they came to my house mm-hmm. and literally like they were freaking out because I had Oreos in there. I'm like, yeah. what? Like, Do you have Oreos? I'm like, yeah, I love, especially mm-hmm. when they're doing all the wacky flavors, like yep. special limited edition flavors Oreo. Yeah. And and they they, they, they were blow, blown away because I had Kraft single cheese I used for my like egg sandwiches mm-hmm. that I made, that, that I made on TV for that. Right. Like, Wait, you make like egg sandwiches with Kraft single, like what? That's, and like the buns you have is from the grocery store, like down the street. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm a human too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't make all your artisanal bread yourself. <laughs> no, no, not, not at all, not at all. So yeah, so you definitely, this is like the weirdest thing where I'm like, please realize, like I, mm-hmm. I, I eat Oreo cookies, and sometimes I'm the idiot who tries to stack like thirty of them together. Like, ah, right. that is, you know? Yeah. <laughs> And then I have a tummy ache later. Right, but but you tried. (laughs) Yeah. We can't wait to sit with you again to share another great story with you at Athleisure Kitchen. Athleisure Kitchen is a part of Athleisure Studio, our multimedia podcast network, which is the division of Athleisure Media, and whose sister site is Athleisure Mag. Get the latest episode by listening, following, and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Premium, Himalaya, or your preferred podcast platform. Find out additional information by checking out the show notes. You can stay in the loop on who future guests are by visiting us at athleisurestudio.com backslash 
Kitchen and on Instagram at Athleisure Kitchen and at Athleisure Studio. I'm your host, Kimmy Smith. Athleisure Kitchen is executive produced by Paul Farkas and myself and is mixed by the team at Athleisure Studio. We'll be back with another episode, so make sure that you set an extra plate for us.